This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. As we have started so many programs over the past four years, let me start exactly where I have in the past. We are in the process of being forcibly transitioned from an objective, real, analog world and into a radically subjective, surreal, digital world. A world where you will be told to think a certain way. A world where you will be told to act a certain way, and as a result, a world where you will be told to speak a certain way. A new way of speaking. Because in a cultural revolution, such as the cultural revolution in Mao's China, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of speaking, were disallowed, forbidden, purged from the societal lexicon forever. It is the way that you change a culture, a society. You begin to create self-censorship. You only need to persecute a few well-known dissidents of the new way of thinking, literally off with their digital heads, and you'll have the attention of all the other free thinkers. The free thinkers will begin to not be so free in their discourse. They will self-censor. They will get in line. And as this self-censorship is happening, the new way of thinking and speaking is introduced. You have a captive audience now. And as the new bizarre Gnostics and the shapeshifters who are able to magically change their genders after speaking abracadabra type of phrases, from boy to girl, from girl to boy, from Z to Zer, whatever made up new social construct that is being created, and that is absolutely what it is, It is the subjective deconstruction of what is objectively true about human beings, binary, biological, man and woman, boy and girl, and making those categories utterly meaningless, making objectivity meaningless, and insisting, demanding, by threat of punishment and banishment, that everyone in their vicinity do the same, to obey their Gnostic, subjective, magically infused words to participate in the realm of fantasy and avatar creation to further remove society from the real from the real substance and real beauty and structure of our world of our lives to live by lies that is our new way of speaking our new way of talking about things where mankind is being told that we must speak about certain made-up mythological fantasies and refer to them as true, as inarguable, as the only truth that we are allowed to acknowledge. And mankind is compelled, forced, to speak this way, under penalty of deplatforming, removal from the digital realm, and being shunned from the analog world as well. Well, in George Orwell's 1984, Orwell's dystopian vision of the oligarchical, technocratic, totalitarian world of the future, he addresses that he could see happening in the future of tyrannical governments, 
in their control over free speech and free thought. He called the forbidding of the old ways of speaking, speaking forth truth and working out through the process of falsification what is objectively true. Well, that, in the future, in Orwell's future, was forbidden. And now, the new truths that are not true at all must be spoken. They are the new speak. So, in Orwell's future world of Oceana, the purpose of the new language is to reduce unnecessary words, and those words that might lead the citizens of Oceana into thought patterns the party wanted you to avoid. The oligarchal technocracy believe that if they can rid the English language of troubling words, then there will be no way that anyone can conceive of the concepts without those words. It is a language that is still under construction as the novel's plot is playing out. The language reduces words to syllables and combines them together to create new, unusual words. The political purpose of Newspeak is to eliminate the expression of the shades of meaning inherent in ambiguity and nuance from old speak. Good think and crime think linguistically reinforce the state's totalitarian dominance of the people of Oceana, and the party's long-term goal with regard to the new language is for every member of the party and society, except the proles, the working class of Oceana, to exclusively communicate in newspeak by A.D. 2050. In Orwell's novel, it is said, Quote, by 2050, earlier probably, all real knowledge of old speak will have disappeared. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron. They'll exist only in new speak versions, not merely changed into something different, but actually contradictory of what they used to be. Even the literature of the party will change. Even the slogans will change. How could you have a slogan like, Freedom is slavery, when the concept of freedom has been abolished? The whole climate of thought will be different. In fact, there will be no thought as we understand it now. Orthodoxy means not thinking, not needing to think. Orthodoxy is unconsciousness. End quote. So much like the horrible, quote, I hope that never happens in our lifetime, end quote, world of Orwell, well, that has now happened in our lifetime. Our literature that we grew up on is deemed hateful. Our movies that we grew up on are deemed misogynistic, or racist, and they all must be redone. We can't have the Lord of the Rings that was just filmed 20 years ago, and that is nearly perfect. No, we must have a new Lord of the Rings with intersectional characters and all sorts of things that Tolkien never intended. You must have a new Star Wars, not with Luke Skywalker, but with the female heroine and an evil male patriarchy. 
and all sorts of the old characters that meant so much to you, killed off. Even James Bond couldn't survive this evil maniacal plot to deconstruct the world, and he is replaced by Jane Bond. The enviro-communo-fascists have taken over Hollywood, and as well the Chinese, who want to deconstruct our society. And so no film can be made without stressing the underlying bedrock of homonormativity. No film can be made, even set in the 16th century England, let's say, that isn't fully diverse racially and sexually. Everything must be undone, and then redone. And the long march through our communications. The way that humans communicate and relate was obviously quite a journey. As we went from talking on cell phones to texting to discussion boards then, where we debated things, to Twitter, to Facebook, to Instagram, with our speech becoming more and more restricted, each year gradualistically. I mean, back in 2011 and 2012, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube were the wild, wild west. Everyone was talking, discussing, and debating. And then, something started to change. Something weirdly changed with the algorithms in 2013 to 2014, and conservative organizations that were making huge money off of article referrals from Facebook and Twitter, well, they completely dried up. Suppression. Discrimination. And then Donald Trump all of a sudden was becoming successful, knocking down winners with social media. And the warning shots came. Alex Jones, love him or hate him, was completely banned from social media. And strangely enough, early on in 2017, so was Dr. Jordan Peterson. Facebook, Twitter, even YouTube, and Gmail, without warning, uh, they completely deleted all of his accounts. Now, the backlash was so strong that he was restored. And what you saw was the gradualistic, incremental suppression of free speech. Done with collusion of all tech companies working together. You could call it that conspiring together to suppress conservative and libertarian speech. It was quite noticeable in 2018 and 2019. And when the most pivotal year in human history occurred, 2020, when that came around, the social media companies went off the charts into totalitarian censorship. The Thinkquisition began. The Grand Inquisitors of Social Media YouTube, etc., were monitoring your every word, your every phrase, for thought crimes. Thought crime was a word coined by George Orwell in the book 1984, once again. And thought crime describes a person's politically unorthodox thoughts, such as unspoken beliefs and doubts that contradict the tenets of Ingsoc, which was English socialism the dominant theology and ideology of Oceana. So if you dared to doubt that a virus was as deadly as reported, if you dared to say that 
A virus might have been engineered through gain-of-function in a lab. If you dared to say that hydroxychloroquine, zinc, CD3, and a steroid might be effective against a virus. If you dared to say that it was wrong to destroy buildings, loot stores, beat white people to death, and burn down cities over so-called white supremacy. If you dared to say that... Donald Trump maybe won the election. If you dared to say that the evidence shows that masks don't work. If you dared to say that January 6th was America's Reichstag moment. If you dared to say that this entire climate justice crisis is a bunch of hogwash. If you dared to say that it appears that what you are sticking in everyone's arms across the world doesn't really work. If you dare to say today that maybe we don't know the whole story between the Russian oligarch and the actor pretending to be a president, then you would have been censored, shut down, and told by your digital overlords that you'd better get in line. Or else. Well, I know, because it happened to us at Sovereign Nations three times. It happened with James Lindsay and New Discourses getting shut down at Facebook and Twitter. So the only option is to be tribalized where you can have no effect or discussions with those of differing opinions. Well, you have to join conservative social media, which means that you're only speaking in echo chambers. And then the larger social media platforms become ideologically monolithic. But there was a man that came along. A man that, yes, I still have some rather prominent red flag concerns about. I mean, Neuralink. <laughs> yeah, that deserves two episodes is the main concern that I have which is over cognitive liberty. That is a serious red flag. But this man comes along, and he is quite well known as being someone who, while being the richest man in the world and hobnobbing with other richest men in the world who are awful human beings and are totalitarians, well, he has kept, for the most part, his libertarian foundations. In other words, he believes in open and intelligent discourse. Discourse where you may have some polemic views, where there may be some disagreement. But within just a few short weeks, the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk has ignited a furious firestorm from those that would like to make themselves our masters. They want to make themselves our masters over what we read, over what we say, over what we write, over what we think. These globalist authoritarian technocrats desire to be your thought masters, and they wish to restrict your cognitive liberty. And so, marching in lockstep, these jack-booted authoritarians of the extreme left, and as well of the more neoconservative variety, let's call them old Hegelians, have decided that the greatest threat to mankind is no longer Russia is no longer COVID, is no longer the end of the civilization due to the climate change as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Greta Thunberg have postulated. No, the greatest threat to humanity 
is the ability for mankind to civilizationally participate in the scientific method together in the public square. For humanity, in and for itself, to be engaged in intelligent, tolerant discourse, to work our way through to find objective truth, to work through the process of falsification, and find out together what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false without the intervention of some government agency or some fascist partner of the government agency, censoring our speech and guiding us to their conclusions 100% of the time. All in the name, of course, though, of safety and community. And to state in many ways, in the way the Jacobins did in the midst of the French Revolution, that safety was, by and large, the most important and forcible ideal of society. But the question should be asked, what do you mean by safety? Safe from what? And that is where the question becomes more, much more, incisive. Because what is safe for the community to keep their online community, and hence the rest of the zeitgeist of our age, in the state of revolution, in the state of criticizing the old and enforcing the new, in making sure that people do not look too deeply into how a sleepy, mumbling, racist man peddling socialism and telling everyone that he was going to end fossil fuel ahead of time, who could only muster up a crowd of just over 75, let's say, per rally, while his opponent in the election was gathering people in the tens of thousands at each stop. How this socialist old fool won the presidency of the United States. And as people begin to really look into these things, well, it is best to keep them silent. So if you are in the midst of completely revolutionizing the United States, or if you are in the midst of completely deconstructing Europe and replacing their culture and their democracy with a totalitarian, algorithmic state, well, you want to censor speech. You want to stifle freedom. You want to accomplish your goals of taking full control of civilization. And nothing can get in the way. Especially not a chubby guy who lives in Tampa Bay. All serious cultures are founded on the distinctions between right and wrong, true and false, good and bad taste, knowledge and ignorance. It was to the perpetuation of those distinctions that the humanities in the past were devoted. Hence the assault now that we have on the curriculum and the attempt to impose a standard of political correctness, which means, in effect, a new repressive tolerance version of non-exclusion, a repressive tolerance version of non-judgment, is also designed to authorize a vehement kind of judgment against all those authorities that question the orthodoxy of the left. And within that frame now enters Elon Musk. And again, while we should be all glad that a shared neutral platform might soon be truly neutral, but so far, it really hasn't gone this way. And while many have had their platforms restored by the lords of Twitter, 
Many have had their post erased since that time. I know my friends over the past week have been locked out of their accounts for joking about the ineffectiveness of certain medical treatments designed to kill off certain viruses, but really don't do so. So more or less like the Babylon Bee, whose jokes are pointed and expose the ridiculousness of the situation we find ourselves in today in 2022. But typically, you know, a joke tries to cut things down to size so that you can feel at ease with the thing that you laugh at. You know, because most ethnic jokes are that way. Because these jokes are ways of dealing with ethnic diversity by helping people to feel content with their own group and not threatened by others. Sometimes it is your own group that is cut down to size, as in the many Jewish jokes, let's say, that show some Jewish foible that is basically an amusing eccentricity, rather than a threat. And that's an important distinction, because jokes become popular because they often soften things, making reality, with all its divisions, less of a threat. As I have spent a tremendous amount of time in Northern Ireland over the past few years, there is a well-known joke from the Northern Ireland troubles of the Catholic and Protestant divisions that caused so much tension and divisions in Belfast, and it kind of goes like this. One man stops another in the street and points a gun at his chest, and he says, Catholic or Protestant, he demands. Atheist, comes the reply, to which the response is, Catholic atheist or Protestant atheist. (laughs) So now, humor of that kind is pointing both to the absurdity of the conflict and also to the fact that it is a pretense, an excuse for hatred rather than a response to it. It is reminding us that the art of taking offense is used by small-minded people to gain an unwarranted advantage over the rest of us. Of course, There are jokes that are in bad taste, jokes that express unpleasant or malicious attitudes. You know, and we teach our children, we teach those around us, not to tell jokes of that kind and to not laugh when others tell them. Humor is informed by moral judgment. And we hope to turn it towards acceptance and forgiveness and away from the malice and contempt. But how should we deal with a joke that gives offense? Because you can't legislate against offense. You really can't. No legislation, no invention of new crimes and punishments can possibly introduce irony, forgiveness, and goodwill into minds schooled in the art of being offended. This is as true of radical feminists as it is of sectarians and social justice warriors, We have a moral duty to laugh at them, but they have made it dangerous to do so. But we should never lose sight of the fact that it is they, not we, who are the transgressors. Now, those who suspect mockery at every turn and who react with implacable anger when they think they have discovered it, well, they are the real offenders. And so jokes serve a purpose to prevent a divide that is unnecessary for people who are working on the same side of defeating a common enemy, like the coming enviro-communo-fascist totalitarian state. But I would give you a word of caution. 
Don't pin your hopes and dreams on a man. Don't pin your hopes of free speech on Elon Musk, just like you shouldn't pin your hopes of liberty on Donald Trump. Because Musk is a man with all sorts of questionable issues over the past several decades, like I said, including development of Neuralink, which we have just mentioned before on our podcast in many years over the past, how this is a serious problem. And devices like Neuralink will be the next step in development of not necessarily preventing free speech, but much worse, preventing and inhibiting cognitive liberty, preventing your ability to think freely, to prevent thoughts that could be dangerous to the state, and to introduce thoughts that are helpful and positive for the totalitarian state. So, while I am glad for a temporary respite from the big sort of the creation of tribes all over the nation and world that think one way or the other, I also consequentially see a much greater threat on the horizon. And as I am quite aware and have been aware for over 12 years that the end of cognitive liberty is on our horizon, we, mankind, should start demanding and forcing our technocratic would-be overlords to start abiding by our previous agreements that we had. First and foremost, by the U.S. Constitution. Because a lot is at stake here. And yes, there is a reason why the old Hegelian neocon Fukuyama declared that our generation was experiencing the end of history as we know it. We don't need to make that a reality. If there is anything at all that we must fight for, it is cognitive liberty. And there can be, trust me, there can be no lose in this. Because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic.